Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time, of course, is just after 7.30. It's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dick's Only Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And it's going to be a lovely day. It's going to be gorgeous. And yesterday was fantastic as well. I mean, it's funny because... Normally I don't look forward to sunny days in summer because we get more than enough of them. Uh, but actually it's been quite nice to have a couple <laughs> of sunny days on a weekend. Um, yes. So I'm quite happy with this weather and it's, uh, it might actually start ripening those damn tomatoes. Who knows? I mean, those lovely ones Penny gave me are still growing apace. I'm not sure how big the fruit's meant to get before it actually colours because they're tomatoes I've never grown before. Uh, But some of them are getting quite big green fruit on them now. I've got one that's huge. Yeah. But I've got a whole range of different varieties of hers yeah. and some of them are small mm. so I'm just waiting to see what yeah, happens because well, exactly they all the went position. in at the same time yeah, yeah I'm in exactly the same position yeah. but um, yes not one red tomato yet no I, I've had one and the birds <laughs> ate it oh no <laughs> well done oh dear yes it's definitely not going to be a tomato yet no, no. <laughs> Green tomato pickle. Mm. Yep. We have to say a very good morning to uh, Meryl Johnson from Country Farm Perennials. Morning, Meryl. Good morning, everybody. The lady with the one ripe tomato. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> it, it was sort of an aberration. It ripened before anything else was even 
of any size, and so the birds just couldn't resist, well, and we didn't get out. the nets on. <laughs> it did stand out. We didn't get the nets on soon enough. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, well, these things happen, don't yeah. they? And, of course, we have to say a very good morning to Virginia Haywood. Hi, Virginia. Good morning, everybody. My tomatoes are small, green, and being eaten by rats. Oh, oh dear. You've still got a rat problem. I've just, I'm about to start trapping again. I hate trapping, but mm. I'm going to have to. Mm. They're thankfully leaving alone the peppers, but the tomatoes, I keep seeing little tiny bits of green tomato. I've got so many tomatoes growing everywhere right. that I, I will still get, will get fruit. I was pruning in the garden and I found a, a big tomato ripening nicely in the middle of my garden where I'd obviously put some compost. <laughs> <laughs> They're always the best and strongest, aren't they? That's yes. right. Next to a blackberry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So uh, that had to come out. Yeah, yeah. The blackberry, yes. not the tomato. No, the blackberry. The yes, tomato's right. very happily there. Good, good, good. <laughs> oh, well, you might get some then. I hope. Yes, mm. exactly. Okay, there's an awful lot uh, going on this morning, so um, I might just uh, get stuck straight into community announcements because uh, if people haven't worked out what they're doing over the next week or so, there's a few things on. And um, one exciting note I got during the week is to say that at the moment um, at Cinema Nova, there's a new film showing uh, it's on each day. I think it's showing twice a day at the moment. People will have to go to their website to work it out. But it's entitled Fantastic Fungi. Mm. Uh, now, it's an, it's an exclusive. Um, it's giving us an incredible eye-popping time-lapse photography of dozens of weird and wonderful mushrooms you've never heard of, interspersed with renowned scientists and mycologists extolling the virtues and biochemistry of those life forms existing somewhere between plants and animals. Fantastic Fungi highlights the beauty, intelligence and also the solutions the mushroom kingdom offer us in response to some of our most pressing medical, therapeutic and environmental challenges. That's wonderful, isn't it? Yes. Australia leads the way, I think, because a lot of the footage in David Attenborough's nature programs of time-lapse photography of plants and particularly fungi Mm. are done by Australians. Mm. So, yeah, we're right up there on that, you know, small front, but important. I've always said I was a fungi to go out with. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, as I mentioned, this is running um, two sessions a day at the moment. You need to jump online to get the session times and to book, but I highly recommend this. I haven't seen it myself yet, but it sounds fantastic. It has a running time of 81 minutes, so um, that's not too long for people to uh, to pop in and have a yeah, look. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, excellent. Uh, a reminder that uh, there is a current exhibition on at the moment highlighting um, 65,000 years of traditional plant use and 250 years of science. In fact, this is all about um, uh, the uh, plant material that was collected by, um, by Banks uh, mm. and, uh, and Solander in 1770. Uh, now, the exhibition is taking place at Maroondah Federation Estate Gallery. The address of that is 32 Greenwood Avenue in Ringwood. It's free entry from this, for this one. And uh, as I say, they have uh, 
six of the actual plant specimens that Banks did collect at that time and the 30 images of other plants uh, that were collected and I gather these are in 3D. They're mm. apparently phenomenal. I haven't Gosh. had the chance to go and look at it myself yet, but people apparently are saying, is that a real plant? Because yeah. of the 3D photography. So it's supposed to be fantastic. Um, now, that's running through until the 17th of April, so there is time, but don't leave it yeah. till the last... We always, always do that do on that. the big ones, because <laughs> you think, oh, I've got a little bit of time, and then you just don't get around to doing it No, all. you forget all about yeah. it, or you... you mm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so do try and go along to have a look at that one. Now, as well, in conjunction, there's going to be uh, two lectures given on Saturday afternoon, the 28th of March, uh, the first one will be given by Professor Tim Entwistle. Mm. Uh, the second one was going to be given by Bruce Pascoe, but he's now unavailable. He's helping his own community after the bushfires mm-hmm. um, and not wanting to leave his community. But they have arranged for another Indigenous guest speaker to be speaking that afternoon as well. Uh, so that should be uh, fantastic. You. If you want to find out more about the lectures, you go to the website and uh, that is apsvic.org.au then forward slash event forward slash banks dash solander dash exhibition. I'll read that again. It is long, I know, but apsvic, all one word, .org.au forward slash event forward slash banks dash solander, solander, get it right, and dash exhibition. Um, uh, That's but, extremely uh, long, isn't yeah, it? Yes. <laughs> it is. I'm sure it could have been shorter, but anyhow. Yes. And I'm sure if you get to banks, the rest will just I pop up. up. Yes, yeah, yes. It probably will. I'm sure it will. So just basically remember it's APS Vic mm. Society, and if you can get APS Vic in... I'm sure that uh, that yes. will take you to... Uh, Things will be obvious. Which <laughs> obviously stands for Australian Plant Society, I should add. So um, they are the ones who are actually hosting the whole exhibition. So ah, that will get you there. Uh, now, coming up uh, on Saturday the 29th of February, uh, Montmorency Food Swap is uh, hosting uh, the Great Tomato Taste-Off. <laughs> Let's hope they've got some. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting, won't it? <laughs> Green tomato taste. <laughs> Very interesting. Now, um, the venue is Lower Plenty Primary School. Uh, it's actually their fair day. Uh, and their address is 126 Main Road in Lower Plenty. Now, the school fair starts 2 through till uh, 7 p.m., the tastings will start at 3.30pm, hopefully. Winners will be announced at 5pm by the uh, Banyum's Mayor, Alison Champion. Now, growers, now this is local growers. You register your tomatoes at three, between 3 and 3.30 for the tasting. So it's actually calling on all local tomato growers. If you're going to have ripe tomatoes... By the 29th of February, you can enter them at 3 o'clock. You might be the only one, so therefore <laughs> you might, you might go to win. win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the conditions of entry are must be locally grown and you must know the variety type. 
you have to provide a minimum of three to four large tomatoes or ten mini tomatoes for sampling. Okay, so good luck. Uh, there's a challenge for everybody. <laughs> if you'd like more information, zero one three eight zero zero nine two eight seven. So there you go. Uh, now coming up also Saturday, twenty ninth of February, Sunday, first of March, uh, Diggers Harvest Festival down at Heronswood. There's going to be. Uh, Kitchen Garden Tours at 10am, Heronswood Garden Tours 11am and 2pm. Uh, their heirloom tomato taste test, 11 till 2, so hopefully they've got some too. There'll be lots of mini workshops, tips and tricks to growing garlic at 11.30, berries for your backyard at 1.30, cut flowers, garden to vase, uh, you can enjoy lunch on their magnificent pool lawn. There'll be children's garden activities Sunday only, 11 till 2, and you can visit the Heronswood Gallery. Now, uh, entry, if you're a member, is free, or children under 16 are free. Visitors, 10 o'clock, and as I said, that's 29th of February, 1st of March, 9am through to 5pm on both days. Uh, now, what else have we got? 1st of March. 1st of March is uh, the uh, Heritage Fruit Tree Festival. Uh, now, this takes place down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. Uh, now, it's going to happen only on the one day, Sunday, 1st of March, 10 a.m. through till 3 o'clock. You can uh, come and discover the best of Werribee Park Farm. There'll be tours of the orchard, tree sales, grafting demonstrations, market stalls, workshops and much more. There'll be live music, food stalls, walks and talks around the orchard and the Werribee River. Uh, there'll be grafted, rare and heritage fruit tree sales between $15 and $25. Um, there'll be gold coin uh, for parking uh, on site, live music, food, free entry into it, apart from the gold coin for parking. Uh, you enter via Gate 5, which is K Road, Werribee South. Uh, BYO bags for purchases for that one. So that's all taking place Sunday 1st of March. Now there's just one more I should mention. Back to uh, the weekend of 29th of February and the 1st of March, there will also be um, a garden open for Open Gardens Victoria. This one is Karen's Garden. Uh, and uh, Karen's Garden is in Brighton, 9 Brandon Close in Brighton. Uh, proceeds will be supporting the charities of the Rotary, Rotary Club of Brighton. Uh, now, uh, it's uh, located just moments from Brighton's North Point and Foreshore walking trail. It's a surprising hidden oasis created on an entire house block adjoining the existing home. There's beautiful mature trees such as ginkgo and jacaranda. Uh, there's deep serpentine beds, uh, so it's got a park-like uh, tranquil atmosphere. There's lush plantings of shrubs and perennials, um, all uh, planted by Karen, who's a very enthusiastic gardener. Uh, there's a large free-form shaded pond adding to the atmosphere. There's uh, sculptures, there's a gazebo. Uh, in a shaded spot uh, to sit and relax. And closer to the house, there's a terraced area overlooking the garden with two 
standard winter flowering uh, cherry. Um, then in the sunny part of the garden, there's expansive raised vegetable and herb beds filled with produce for the kitchen and uh, a Mediterranean-style ornamented plant, ornamental planting adorning and draping the high walls of the driveway. Now, you can find refreshments from Northport Cafe, which is at the end of the street. As I mentioned, proceeds for this opening will support the charities of Rotary Club Brighton. The address, again, is 9 Brandon Close in Brighton. Saturday, 29th of February, Sunday, 1st of March, 10am through to 4.30. Entry is $8. Children under 18 are free. And once again, Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass to give away. So the first person to ring Robin on 94190155 can grab that free double pass. It will be posted out to you. Okay. Time we also invited our listeners to join us. We've got a wonderful team on board this morning. Stephen Ryan, Meryl Johnson and Virginia Haywood. If you'd like to ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. Stephen, I think we're talking all things um, <laughs> I decided, tall. Yeah, tall, yes. Uh, cannas. Colourful. Yes, colourful. Um, they're one of those groups of plants that people either love or hate, and I think the hate brigade generally come about because of the way canners were used over the yes. over the last 30 or 40 years where you would plant them like confetti all together in a big island bed somewhere and that's how you grew canners so you'd have them all up and down all over the place there'd be every color in the rainbow from sort of yellows through pinks to reds to you know you name it um and canners shouldn't be used that way canners are a plant that you use as a focal point feature plant so You don't crowd a whole pile of them together. You use them through a mixed border to give great verticality. There's very few plants that can do vertical like a can. And and not fall over. And not fall over. Yes, Yes, they're very very strong. Uh, So they do wonderful verticality. Uh, They vary in height. I have to say the really dwarfish ones I find somewhat pointless. Yes. uh, Because the whole point of a canner for me is the fact that it does vertical. But you can get short canners down to about 60 centimetres. Right up to some canners that can get to three to four metres tall, uh, which is pretty impressive. And they're one of the few groups of perennials that are also, well, if they never flowered, their foliage would be worth it. And especially some of the beautiful coloured foliage. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Variegations. Yeah, they're just the such burgundies. a highlight. Yeah, they're wonderful things in foliage. So as far as I'm concerned, even from early spring when they're first erupting out of the ground, they're making an impact straight off and they just get better and better as the season goes on uh, until you have them flower. Now... A lot of the hybrid ones will start flowering before Christmas on an average year and they can still be in flower if you're deadheading and taking out dead flower stems. Uh, they can still be flowering when the first frosts come in. So yes. you can have months and months of flowers. Some of the really tall ones, I might add, um, spend a lot of time getting the height and then they flower, so they tend to come flower into bloom late. Light. Yeah, they're, they're quite late. But I don't mind because they generally have humongous foliage and they look fabulous. Mm. Um, and... 
about the only co- colour canners don't seem to do is pure white and blue. Uh, <laughs> no, no blue jeans. No, no, no blue jeans in there, and there's and there's no white jeans as far as we know either. Although there is one called um, Canna iridiflora, which nobody seems to have, and it has a drooping flower, and it's white and green. Ooh, that sounds uh, very nice. And it's very tall. I like uh, that. Yeah, and if anybody ever gets Canna iridiflora, I want one. <laughs> uh, and I do you a swap or, or buy it from you. But as far as I know, nobody here's got it. Um, so for Canna's, the holy grail is to produce a pure white. Uh, mm. like a blue rose or, you know, yes. whatever. Yeah. Um, so nobody's ever done that, but there are some really lovely creams. And, in fact, I'll start with the cream one, which is over on the far side of my little tray here. Um, this is a canner that was bred by Frank Hogan in um, Queensland up at Mackay. Now, Australia has a long history in canner breeding. Yes, uh, we have, yeah. W- well back before the First World War, there was Mr Cole. And there's a, there's a whole range of coal hybrids, most of which have disappeared out of cultivation, although the Bendigo Botanic Gardens have some, although there could be some dispute as to whether the names are correct or not because things disappear over the years and it can be really hard to be sure. But anyhow, they've got a few coal hybrids. We don't even know what Mr. Cole's Christian name was, but he was actually German and he changed his name to C-O-L-E um, uh, when he was breeding. So all his coal, uh, coal canners have C-O-L-E, but he was actually a K. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that much we do know. Uh, and he bred some amazing canners in his time. I mean, they were, you know, as good as anybody in the world was breeding. Uh, and so we have this long history. And in more recent times, Queensland seems to have been the place because there is a lady, I believe she's still with us at about 94 or 95, uh, called Mrs. Reese, who lives up in Queensland somewhere. Yes, and her name is prominent. Her name is prominent in, in the hybrids. Yes, yes so uh, I've got a couple of different Reese hybrids uh, up at um, the nursery, uh, including one that she bread that is the biggest salmon pink I've ever seen in my life. It is just huge, the flowers <laughs> on this thing. Um, and so some of her hybrids were really lovely and, um, and they're still out there a little bit. Uh, and then Frank Hogan seems to have stepped up and he's been doing quite a bit of breeding of late. Uh, oh, when I say of late, he's been breeding for years, but he's been putting a little bit more effort into it of late. Uh, getting organised. Yeah, he is getting slightly more organised. And the cream one... Uh, which is a really poor specimen I bought in, but nobody can see that except us, um, <laughs> is actually Canner Stephen Ryan. Um, so um, Frank decided he would name his best cream after me, and apparently in his garden it gets to about two and a half metres, uh, has huge big cream flowers on it that fade to almost white, um, and he's using me in his breeding program. I don't know whether <laughs> I should be telling people that or not. Um, so <coughs> he's, he reckons it's a fabulous canner and he's really pleased with it, and so he named it after me and of course had to send me uh, some plants of it so now I feel obliged to grow and sell it because it's named after me. Yes. So yeah, so that's Canna Stephen Ryan, poor Canna. Um, I have to say I'm not overly keen on Canna's named after people because when the people are long gone people just scratch their head and the name means nothing. Um, whereas if you give a plant a name that sort of is applicable to the plant, you know, something that sort of will be catchy, it's likely that that plant might stay around with that name on it. But anyhow, Frank has been breeding some really good canners, um, and I suppose at this point, before I talk about any of the other canners, I should talk about cultivation. 
Canners are one of those groups of plants that will cope with an enormous amount of neglect. Yes. But then they can look like they're neglected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what gave the poor little devils a bad name yeah, because yeah. people mistreated them and then blamed them. Yeah, exactly. So you ended up with dead stems through them with ratty leaves and old flower heads gone over and all that sort of stuff. So there's really three, four things that you need to do with canners. One's that, one, they like lots of sun in general. So there's very few canners that are particularly shade tolerant. So mm. they need a sunny aspect. That's first. Second thing is they like a rich soil. You cannot overfeed a canner. A bit uh, like a peony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just no stop. Pile it on. Uh, and the other thing they love is water. Um, so if you can give them plenty of water and feed them really well uh, and give them lots of sun, they're the three cultural things that you need to know about. In fact, I say to people, plant it in a sunny spot under a dripping tap and then tie a horse to the tap, <laughs> you know, so that you get all three things you need. Uh, but then it comes down to the management of the plants, which I think is really important if you want to keep them good. After a few years, they should be lifted and divided because they start getting hollow in the middle and they sort of yes. keep moving sideways. So... Dividing them every so often is a good thing. Uh, and keep the best bits from the outside of the clump and plant those back. Give the middle bits away to friends. <laughs> like uh, irises and cicerinchiums, they yeah, die out in the centre yeah, if and, you don't yeah, divide and, them every few years. And the plants regain vigour when you do that to them. Yes. Uh, and especially if you put them back into a bit of pre-manured soil. So dividing them regularly. And then what I call preening more than pruning in a sense with canners uh some are self-cleaning they'll drop flower heads out some of the more modern hybrids actually do that quite well but nonetheless when a flower spike finishes uh you should take the flower spike out but if you feel down below the flower uh, after its first spike is finished there's a big brack down there and if it's fat there's another flower spike coming in there and you can often get three on a lot of modern hybrids so mm-hmm. when the first flower spike finishes you cut that back to where the bract is and then you get a second one and then It'll happen again. After the third flower spike is finished, I then generally take the flower stem right out because it's not going to flower again. The foliage will start to go off and you open it up for new shoots to come up. It's the same with roses. Exactly the same sort of thing. You take out the old wood completely and let the fresh new wood come away. And about every three years... Three years' worth of work from a branch is pretty good going, so canners likewise. Yeah, so, you know, you get a good season out of them, then you take those stems out. That will prolong the flowering period right up to the frost, and it will keep the plants looking smart. Um, Because because they're an in-your-face plant, uh, I have to say... If they're looking scruffy, they become even more in your face. Yeah, and the whole bed turns scruffy, it does. unfortunately. Yeah, so <laughs> canners need that little bit of attention. And I have to say, deadheading the canners and taking the old stems out and all that sort of thing is not hard work. No. Uh, I find it actually quite cathartic. I get into my batch of canners at the nursery every couple of weeks. I go through a deadhead, cut the old flower spikes out, take whole stems out that have finished flowering. I can do couple of hundred canners in an hour. Uh, they look really good when I'm finished. Uh, and you feel terrific. Yeah, exactly, I, Meryl. I just name all the, the things that need to be chopped off. Yeah. All the people who've been mean to me. Oh, yeah. I, I <laughs> name the plants that and then I chop their heads off. It's fantastic <laughs> Hadn't thought therapy. Of that. Uh, but I might go ahead with that. So, so they're the sort of cultural things with canners. Um, and then, of course, you need to select your canner appropriately for the place you're putting it in. So, as I said, there's dwarf ones up to giants. We've, we've got a whole bed of canners in the Botanic Garden. Yeah, which and is I'm, just the way I don't like to see them planted, I have to say. But anyhow... The reason is it's a rain garden. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so all the all water, water comes off the street and uh-huh. is held there so that the canners eat up all the McDonald's and dog poo. And yeah, yes, they'll clean up all of the nutrients that are in it. Yeah. So they work very well that way. And actually, that's a very good segue because they're... Canners will grow in quite boggy ground yes, quite happily. Yeah. So they're ideal at the end of a dysfunctional septic line for those yes, living in the country. Yes. Absolutely perfect because uh, they're not going to muck up your lines, no. but they'll take up the nutrient moisture. Um, and some canners, and that's the next one I wanted to talk about, are actually water canners. There is a small group of canners that actually grow with their roots actually out in water. And as much as I love the Japanese water irises, I think they're exquisite plants, they have a comparatively short flowering period. It's very brief, yeah. especially in bad weather. Yeah, and their foliage is not overly exciting. No. It's just another strappy, rushy-looking leaf. So although I wouldn't necessarily live without them, I think actually the water canners pay their way far better than the water irises do. If you want to sink a pot into a fish pond or plant it in the mud on the side of a dam, uh, then consider the water canners. And the one I bought in this morning is one called Canna Glauca, uh, and it does have a slight slightly bluey grey leaf, although under this fluorescent light it's not quite so obvious. Uh, and it's exquisite. It's got pale lemon, spidery... Spidery, but- lovely, yeah, butterfly. Yeah, for a canner it's incredibly dainty. It is. Uh, it can get up to about two metres, uh, a well-grown plant, uh, and it's with its narrow leaves and its spidery, butterfly flowers, um, it is gorgeous. And mine in the garden at home is growing by my back pond in the mud, uh, some of the stems are coming up out into the water now. Uh, it's sort of working its way out. Uh, it's been in flower now for at least a month and a half, and in warmer years it would have been even earlier. And it will still be in flower when the real cold weather sets in. So you can't ask much more than that. So this is a wild species, Canaglauca. Uh, it has been used for some breeding, and I grow two other h- hybrids of it. One that Frank produced up in Queensland that has an even more glaucous leaf with a slightly burgundy rim around the leaf. And it has, I can only say, terracotta-coloured flowers. Mm-hmm. And he called it Brolga Dance. He tries to name his canners with an Australiana sort of theme, theme to them. So apart from Stephen Ryan. Um, so a lot of his canners have names like Walsing Matilda or the Red Centre or, you know, all that sort of thing, which is fabulous. I think, you know, it sort of designates where the plants come from as well as mm-hmm. anything else. Are they considered a weed anywhere? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, some canners will self-seed quite heavily, some of the species ones, and certainly in northern climes, it's always possible that some of them might go weedy. But then Canna indica the, uh, and Canna edulis, the one that they use for the sort of arrowroot starchy stuff that they use, has been grown in Queensland since the days of the Canucks. Um And as far as I know, it hasn't gone feral madly anywhere. Mm-hmm. That one has gone absolutely huge in my veggie garden. Oh, yes, it can get very big. Where it's well fed. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And um, so... As far as I know, there's no particular weedy potential with the canners. Um, and um, So anyhow, yeah, water canners, consider them. Um, as I said, I've got Brolgadance, I've got Canaglauca, and I've got another one that was bred in America, which has definitely got uh, water canner blood in it, uh, a canner called Intrigue. And Intrigue grows to nearly three metres tall. Wow. Narrow, burgundy leaves with an almost blue cast underneath it. How beautiful. And apricot flowers. I like that slender foliage. I think that's more elegant. You know, Mm. Canna's got 
a bad rap because, yes, they weren't cared for and they looked tatty. Mm. And often the leaves were very coarse, so yeah. it didn't give an elegance to the garden. But those lovely hybrids with oh, the yeah. long, narrow leaves, I yeah. think they are elegant. Yeah, well, if you ever see plant of intrigue, snap it up. I've got some at work, but it's... Um, it flowers late, so it's not one that flowers over a long period, but it can easily get to three metres tall, and with this wonderful burgundy foliage with yes, this sort of blue undercast. Great colour. Its flowers are lovely, but they're smallish and they're sort of an apricot colour. And uh, who cares? And yeah, it's I, the foliage. I don't care about it. Intrigue is just such a beautiful canner. And I know that Frank is using it up in Queensland as a water canner. He's actually got it growing in one of his ponds, and he says it's doing really well. Can you tell the difference between a water canner and a... Land Nearly always the foliage of water cannas tends to be very it's slender so, yes. uh, and with a fairly upright sort of habit, yeah, yeah, demeanour about it. So yeah. its leaves tend to come up. So if you see one that has a quite slender, narrow leaf, chances are it's either a water canner or one of the water canner hybrids, and in which case it will still grow in water. So, um, yes, yeah, so that's canna glauca. And I guess finally the other one I brought along is another one of Frank's hybrids, which is a moderate growing one. It'll get up to about a little over a metre, and he's called this one Orient Express, and it's a wonderful shade of really bright pillar box red. Um, And it's got a good, rich green foliage. It's a nice, healthy-looking plant. So if you want a sort of a moderate one for middle-of-the-border level, and you're looking for something in a good colour of red, um, Frank has bred a couple of good red ones, Mm -hmm. as has Mrs Reese. There's one called the Red Centre that's hers. Um... Which, when she first released it, the only thing against Mrs. Reese was some of her canners were released with names that didn't quite match the canner. And so the red centre, as we now call it, uh, Frank got permission by Mrs. Reese to change a couple of names. Uh, she used to call Cherry Red, and it wasn't Cherry wasn't Red. Cherry. It, was, no, it, it was a distinct, little colour blind. Yeah, it was perhaps. distinctly bright. Red. Uh, and her one, the, the big uh, salmon pink one, she called it watermelon pink, and it wasn't really watermelon, watermelon pink. No. So no. Frank changed it to Walsing Matilda. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, so, you know, so they're, they're out there. And, you know, as Meryl said before, there's lots of interesting variegated ones as well. I mean, there's the sort of classic uh, obvious ones that you see everywhere, the sort of Tropicana types. Um, those aren't for the timid gardener, though. No. I have to say, they are completely in your face, some of those they are, variegated but ones. They're wonderful when they're used well. Oh, yeah. Yes, in your Balinese garden next to your sort of thatched cottage. yes. (laughs) So, yes, so they can be great fun. And I think canners are all about having fun. I don't think that they're meant to be subtle. You use them as a striking... Eye poppers. Yeah, they are. They're really eye popper plants. Um, And I love the fact that there's such an incredible sort of rush of biomass with them. Mm. You know, the spring hits and suddenly the canners erupt out of the ground. You can almost watch them growing. Um, And... Yeah, they're, they're sort of an excitement plant in the garden. But, yeah, don't plant them in a great big bed altogether, really, if you can avoid it. It's like, like, like the botanic garden. Yeah, like the botanic <laughs> garden. Like jelly beans. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I think it was that sort of municipal planting that really put people off. I hated them a long time ago because mm. they were the municipal plant when I lived in Bondi. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, and they were. And, and, look, a lot of good plants actually can get a really bad reputation exactly, by the way they're by used. bad use. That's um, right. Uh, as overuse can sometimes cause... Mm-hmm. that same problem. I mean, if I see another set of uh, Chanticleer pears, um, I mean, they're everywhere. Well, thank goodness we've got over iceberg roses now. Well, I'm not sure we have completely got over iceberg roses. It's a wonderful rose, but it's a 
great case in point of mm. overuse to the mm. point of exhaustion yeah, yeah. to uh, our eyes. And it's the same with a lot of good plants. They get overused. I mean, the yes. little gem um, magnolia. I yes. mean, nothing wrong with it as a plant, no, I guess. No, But when you see whole rows of them all through Turak and Hawthorne down boundary sites, I mean, everybody's going to need miners' lamps to walk around their garden in due course because although little gem... It's got sold. that little word in yeah, it. It's, it, it says little, little, but it's not really that little. It's just slower. Uh, so I've seen little gems up well over four and a half metres tall, yes, yes. Uh, and I think they're still going. Yes. So I think it will still make a giant tree in time. It's just going to take a little longer to get there. Yep. So it will be the sort of evergreen older of its era. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, remember that. Yes. Oh, my I've got God. one. It's gigantic. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether it's still there, but there was an evergreen alder down in the Geelong Botanic Garden standing in the middle of a lawn, and it's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. It must have been one of the first that came into Australia of that species. And anybody who was thinking of planting one should have gone and had a look at that tree <laughs> Before first. That. <laughs> Put it, it anywhere huge. near the septic line. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and they planted them in rows along the back of units and flats and things and you know lifting paving and pulling fences over yes. and oh, dreadful tree to plant i mean the only place an evergreen alder should be is out in a paddock in a swamp uh, and then it's fantastic in another country <laughs> oh no it could be in this country i don't mind that at least it doesn't go madly feral or anything you don't get seedlings coming up no, everywhere not as far all. as i've seen no but its root system is to be kept well away from everything yeah because yes. it is one of those avaricious trees okay. so there we go so canners Think about them. We must go to our first caller, and uh, believe it or not, we have Gwen online. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Hello, Gwen. Gwen. Hi. Um, now, I was listening to everybody saying how their tomatoes aren't right. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm not really going to Skype here, but just to pass on some information. Um, last year, when we had the 3CR Radiothon, uh, we bought a, a nursery voucher, um, and we went and purchased a, a plant of Tomato Mini Roma Truss, mm-hmm. M-I-N-I-R-O-M-A-T-R-U-S-S. Now, Roger lashed out, I think. He paid seven ninety-five. Oh, goodness <laughs> me. Little punnet. But we have been picking 10 or 12 tomatoes a day for weeks now. We have got hundreds on the plant. They're Mini Romas, um, you know, oh, only rough. small... Um, and the the plant would be two metres tall. Um, we haven't done anything really special to it apart from having uh, the soil well prepared. Uh, it gets sunshine, sure, and it gets enough water to maintain it. Um, it is the company, I've got the label in front of me, and it was done by Oasis. Oh, yes. So mm-hmm. if you're wanting a, a contact there, it was Oasis. But um, I think it may have been... Wouldn't have been fruiting well before Christmas. I know my dad's aim was always to have oh, that tomatoes. Is the Holy Christmas. Grail. <laughs> yes, it's always. I don't know why. I've done it once. It's quite silly. <laughs> I've never done it, but then I come from Macedon. <laughs> what do you expect? Yeah, that's right. But anyway, look, if you, it's too late now to do anything, so you need a pen to write it down for next year. But if you see plants of a tomato mini Roma truss, uh, it's well worth getting one because we've certainly already had far more than $7.95 value off it already. <laughs> Fantastic, Gwen. Well, we gave it our best shot this year, Gwen. We were in there with high expectations. Instead of planting them in the ground because our soil does, you know, slowly warm in the spring often, so yeah. this time we put them in great big black pots 
with yep. lots of yummies and goodies in there, really well draining, in the sunniest position we could find. Good. We started them off under plastic even to give them that little start because <laughs> it was such a dull spring. Did everything, but yep. no, just cannot do it this year. <laughs> Weather yeah, conditions are yeah. not with us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Look, I'll move you to it, but... Yeah, well, thank you for, for that not skiting about your tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger's probably done more about them than I have, but I thought I'd at least pass on that information for those who've got a pen and are going to be buying tomato seedlings mid-next year, mid-this mid year. <laughs> OK, thanks, Gwen. Goodio. Right. Bye. Bye. Uh, See, there's always somebody out there that does better than you do. Well, of course, <laughs> and that's what's so fun. <laughs> it's what's kept flower shows going for all these years, yes. you know, that little it's competitive... Skiting, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, we're going next to uh, Anna, who's out in Coburg. Good morning, Anna. Oh, good morning. Thank you very much for your fabulous show. Can I just say, ask you a question about my plum tree? Uh, we seem to have a love-hate relationship. Uh, sometimes uh, it gives us about half a dozen plums and uh, sometimes three. Now, last year we pruned it. Uh, maybe we left it too late. I don't know. Uh, but we anyway, we pruned the tree. And this year all we have are branches full of leaves, not a flower in sight, and I don't think we're going to have any plums at all. So I think we must have caused some damage to the tree. Did, did, it, flower, did it flower well and just not set fruit? Not set fruit at all. No. There has but did been it flower in the spring or yes, in the late flower. winter? Flower. Mm. Because um, there's been a huge... I cannot remember. I think it may have. Yes. There's been an enormous uh, dearth of bees this year. Bees have been noticeably oh. very absent. Um, weather oh. conditions during the pollination period for plums were very bad for mm. bees. Um, so that could be it. Mm. And also just the lack of bees. Our garden is full of flowers and we're normally absolutely humming with bees all summer. But because of the smoke, they went away. Mm. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That's really, really sad and yeah. worrying, but isn't it? It is. Yeah, but I don't think you've it. hurt your plum tree with pruning. No, I don't <laughs> think so either. Uh, no. No, I think so it's a pollination I... problem. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So now should I should we just wait for all the leaves to fall off? Yeah. And then the... prune it again? Well, or... it depends. I mean, summer pruning with some of these fruit trees is quite a good idea because when yes. you prune in the summer, they don't tend to send out as much growth. When you prune in the winter, that invigorates growth. So when the spring comes, they send up really big, strong water shoots. So oh, okay. a light summer pruning and shaping of the tree won't do any harm. No, it, uh, it's really good because yeah. it puts the strength into the fruiting mm. spurs. But the other thing oh, that worries right. me about your plum tree, you haven't mentioned the fact as to whether there's any other plum trees around, around. you that might be cross-pollinating because most plum varieties need a cross-pollinating variety yes, to yes, set but good we fruit. haven't got another tree and I... Honestly, I don't think there are very many of those. Yeah, well, that, that could be always. Yeah, that could yeah. always be uh, your problem. Without having the cross-pollinator to uh, get the bees to cross-pollinate between two different varieties, then you're yeah. only ever going to get very, very small crops of fruit. There's not much you can do about it without having no. that cross-pollinator. And it need... So do you suggest that we should get another tree? Well, you, yes, but except you'd need to know which one you've got. Yes. Yes. To, to get, get the, the right, right timing. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have the right 
set of pollinators. So you can't just get oh. another plum tree. You've got to get okay. another plum tree that is of the appropriate sort to pollinate the one you've already oh. got. I.e. flowers at the same, same time. time. So yeah. unless you know the variety, if you know the cultivar yeah. name, then you could yeah. go to a nursery and say, I've got Santa Rosa or I've got Green Gage or what, whatever the plum is, and then they can tell you which is an appropriate cross-pollinator and then you can buy the other plum. If my Green Gage is any example, I'd say don't get Green Gage under any circumstances. Green Gage is really a good plum in Europe. It's not actually that good a plum out here. I, I get the oh, plums, okay. but it travels everywhere. Mm. It's mm. worse oh. It's worse than that thing you gave me that's marching up the driveway. <laughs> the rust. <laughs> I like oh, a plant with a zest for life. That's a pleasure. Uh, one more question, just quickly. Have you heard of a tree called buckeye tree? Yeah, yes. buckeye, yes, yes. It's one of the yes. Iscolas. Is it like a chestnut tree? Yes. yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a form it's, of horse chestnut. Oh, I see. Do we have uh, that sort of tree in our botanic gardens? I wouldn't mind going and having a look. Well, yes, I sent them an email, but nobody nobody replied. So I imagine maybe they think, well, we don't have a tree here, so why bother replying? <laughs> Who did you send the email to? Oh, information, I think it was. Oh, well, that's the, bad. They should, they, I mean, yeah. they will reply. They should have. But... Yeah, I don't remember seeing any of the North American oh, buckeyes in the garden at the Botanic Gardens. Oh, I know there is a, Cal- a, a North American one near the... There's a house in the Botanic Gardens and there's one near the house. There's a few horse oh. chestnuts in the garden. Hmm. I've but, planted oh, an Indian okay. horse chestnut in my garden. Yeah, they're a lovely tree. But the, the buckeyes are basically just the American versions of horse chestnuts. They're all in the same genus except in... In Europe, they call them horse chestnuts. In America, they call them buckeyes. So the American ones oh, are buckeyes and the, and the European ones are known as horse chestnuts. And they can oh, all see. get very big. Very big, yes, but we'll yes. keep that in mind. Thank you very much for your help. And, all the best. And speaking of size yeah, of trees, with yes. your getting your cross-pollinating plums, there's some really good miniature plums these days. They're, they're grafted onto miniaturising rootstock. Oh. And they don't grow very big, and especially if you do the summer prune. So even if you've got a relatively small garden, you can get good cross-pollinators happening. And there's charts, there's lots of charts available that tell you which ones flower at the same time in the spring so that you can get, you know, maximum pollination from whatever bees happen to be around. Oh, thank you very much. I wish I knew as much about garden as you lot. (laughs) Well, then you wouldn't have to ring us. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. My green gauge, I've only got that. It's the Mm. only plum I've got, and my place is quite a long way from anybody else. But you still get crops. I still get crops, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. Yeah, look, some of them will, I think, be somewhat self-pollinating. but I don't get crops. The birds get crops. Yeah, well, exactly. But most plums uh, do... I can't remember which way around it is. I think the Japanese ones tend to be a little bit more self-pollinating or the other way around. I can't remember. Yes, um, I think the Japanese Satsuma types yeah. are, are pretty good self-pollinators. Yeah. But, yes, I'm not quite sure where Green Gauge fits into these sort of hierarchy of plums. Um, but, yes, yeah, some will, will self-pollinate, but certainly most of the European plums need a, a cross-pollinator. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't have to be that close, but it still needs to be somewhere within flying distance for yeah, bees and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within maybe two kilometres yeah. is a good distance. Yeah, so, so there you go. So, But it's interesting because... There's, I, I haven't seen a plum anywhere on my mm. road, yeah. and I do wander amongst everybody's gardens. Mm. 
But well, invited or just on your own? <laughs> <laughs> Bit of both. <laughs> but my dogwoods, only one of them flowered this year. It wasn't a good dogwood year. No, Most, well, no. I had plenty of dogwoods flowering, but I didn't have the heavy show of flowers no, this year that, I've had, uh, that I have most years. So I think my, it was just a uh, weather-driven. My thing. Norman, what's his name? Norman Haddon. Yes. Norman Haddon. It flowered and flowered and incredibly profusely, mm. and none of the others flowered at all. Mm. And I wondered if it was because we had a very dry autumn. Could have been. I mean, I don't know what triggers or, or stops flowering on some plants, but certainly some of my dogwoods I find a biennial uh, they'll have a very poor crop one year then they'll have a absolute knockout crop the following year so it's partially I think just the strain on the tree that it can't keep that sort of thing up every year but there have been bad years and this year was a particularly bad year I didn't get that much you know I had dogwoods in flower but I didn't have that sort of eye-popping mm, show yes, that I normally yeah, expect yeah. to get and so I think it was climate driven and it may well have been that the the autumn stayed dry just that little too long. And, and, and the same effect on magnolias. They mm. weren't quite as good this year yeah. as they necessarily have been. Yeah, so there you go. So you just got to take the good with the bad. Yes, Especially and, and that's what makes it all fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no two years are the same. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> well, I have to say this has been the most fabulous, fabulous summer. Hasn't it? Oh, the rest of the country is having drought, and I'm really sorry about that, but I have had so much rain. Mm. It's survivor guilt, isn't it? It It really is. And my garden. I've got a green lawn. How does that happen? In the middle of February, (laughs) green is green is green. And my garden's looking beautiful. Normally, I won't let people come to my garden in February because I've run out of water. I've got full tanks. It is, it's, it's I mean, remarkable. I've been there 15 years. I've never had. I've always run out of water by March. Yep. Mm. Every year. Mm. Yep. Yes, well, you're certainly not, not going year. to do it this year. No. <laughs> it's no. wonderful. And I'm not watering. But green no. tomatoes. you just got to put up with green yeah, tomatoes. Yeah, that's right. Good with the bad. <laughs> it seems to me that the rats like green tomatoes. Yeah. So yeah. that's all right. Isn't gardening a great lesson in life? <laughs> it really <think> is. <laughs> Gardeners are wise people. <laughs> okay, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, we're running through until 9.15, so plenty of time for you to jump on the phones and give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. While I've got everyone's attention, um, a big uh, reminder that in two weeks' time, which is uh, the 8th of March, uh, it will officially be International Women's Day falling on the Sunday. Now, this year, uh, 3CR are going to be running a full 24 hours of special programming uh, to commemorate International Women's Day, starting from midnight on the Saturday night, running right through till midnight on the Sunday night. And as such, there will be no uh, 3CR gardening show that morning. So in two weeks' time, we will not be on air because we've been asked to give way to for special programming to commemorate that one uh, one day with 24 hours of special programming. And so, I get a day off then. Yes, yes, <laughs> I get a day off too. Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so there you go. So, uh, yes, keep that in mind. If you turn us on in a fortnight's time, we won't be here. But I will. we will be here, of course, next week, oh, and yes. I'll remind everybody again next week, it is just the one day... <laughs> 
It only happens once every seven years, so we can we can cope with being generous with our time slot. My daughter was born on International Women's Day. Oh, there you go. And they wanted to induce me the day before. I knew I knew she was a girl, and I said, no, no, she has to be born tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, me. So that means her birthday's coming up. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, good yes. deduction. Yeah, well, I, look, I'm very clever about yes, things like that. <laughs> Okay, as I said, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155. Virginia, we should talk about some of the plants you've brought in. Well, I have brought in three, and this one, I think, is rather beautiful. Its name is Brilliantasia. Which is a good name for it, because yeah, it is pretty it brilliant. Is brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant. They planted this, I think Meg got them to plant this in the Botanic Gardens. It's in the Botanic Gardens now. You don't see it around a lot. No. No. Um, it is, I think, in, in Queensland, I think it might be listed as a weed. Oh. Whereas for us, for me to get this through winter, I have is, to... Is a triumph. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know I can't because I've and tried. The, listen, <laughs> Virginia's offered me one which I've had to very politely decline because I know it would die in the frost. Yeah, yes. well, mine's a, I, I had mine in a pot, the original one that I think you gave me, my dear. Um, and I took it into the igloo for the winter, which isn't heated, but it keeps the frost mm-hmm. off. It still turned to mush and disappeared. So, And yet other things I've had of a sort of similar ilk. They might look scruffy by the end of winter, but they make it through. But the Brilliantasia didn't dump at Macedon. So if I, if I were to have it for sale, I'd need to flog it all off before the autumn hit and, uh, <laughs> and get somebody else to grow it and bring it up for me in the spring. I know Craig has got it for sale at Gentiana Nursery in Olinda. It's a really beautiful flower. It's like a salvia on steroids. It is. Mm. However, mm. it's not a salvia, and unlike rosemary, it's never going to get moved into salvia either. No, because it's an acanthaceous plant, so yes. it's in a quite different family, yeah. uh, although it has that salvia-esque look about it. And like I find virtually all the acanthaceae I have are really easy to propagate. Mm. Mm-hmm. So once you have it, it's really easy to keep it going. Oh, and you didn't bring much in the way of foliage in with it, but its leaves are really impressive as yes. well. Big, Big, sort of rounded rich green, heavily veined leaves mm. uh, with sort of winged petioles. So its leaf stem has this sort of winginess about the... It's an elegant looking mm. plant, isn't it? Especially mm. with the way the flowers are spaced. It's airy and elegant. So big flowers, if they're all clustered together, do you it remember look a bit we, thuggy. Do you remember we saw it in Mauritius? Yes, growing along a stream. In fact, some of it was growing out into the water. It was growing in the water and it mm. was growing in shade. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. everyone here plants it in the sun mm. well it, it, it looks to me actually if you really analyze it, it looks to me like one of those plants that does need that modicum of shade it has a leaf that reminds me of some of the plectranthuses and things yes, and so i would always see it as a potential sort of semi-shade plant yeah. um, but uh, it flowers for ages it's a gorgeous thing and i'm really jealous that i can't grow it at Macedon. But exactly anyhow. no it is it's a really lovely thing and it grows for um, up goes to about three or four foot yeah it's, yeah, a, good it's size. a substantial plant it's not tiny and i'm growing it next to this next one which is a salvia, and I always swear I won't talk about salvias when I come in, and I never stick to it. <laughs> but this is quite a rare one from Peru. It's called Bululata, and I don't know of it having a common name. And it has a really unusual shade. of. It has several shades of blue in its, it's flowers. It's like the flowers have been dipped in ink and, mm. and yes. sort of bled the ink. It's a beautiful colour. It is a stunning, stunning, stunning blue. And there isn't a huge amount of blue in the garden. 
So, and I've, I've got them both growing together. This, it's interesting. After it's hard prune, it has grown really tall on me. It must be, it must be four foot high. Mm-hmm. And, and I just. Together, they together. look very airy and delicate. Yes. And yes. it's a really, I, and I grow all of them facing east. So they get, they don't tend to get the late afternoon sun and they don't get the north wind. Mm. Yes. For I me, think, it's yeah. the north wind rather than. Well, you're up on a bit of a knoll where you are. I so am. the wind would come whistling through mm-hmm. your place. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the expense of the view would be the only way you'd ever really shelter yourself in. Mm. You know, you'd have to completely surround yourself with big trees and then you'd lose that gorgeous view. Absolutely. Well, and because the view is to the east, Mm. I'm safe because not a lot of the weather comes from the east, although I have to say during the fires, the weather was coming from the east all the time, which meant that I I lost all my hills. Mm. I was just sitting in smoke. Mm. It was quite thick. I mean, Melbourne was sitting in smoke as well, Mm. but it was thick out in the Yarra Valley. So I imagine a lot of the grapes are going to be tainted this oh, year. Oh, yes, I think so. Yes, 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 they'll have that rather unusual smoky flavour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Did you have much smoke down at Nayuk? Tremendous amount of smoke, yes, yes coming from, from the Gipsland. Yes. yes. But uh, suggesting another plant that we could put into this lovely little planting is salvia patens. We promised we wouldn't talk about salvias, but <laughs> here we go. I find uh, patens incredibly difficult. I used to grow it in England with greatest of ease, mm-hmm. and I have seen stunning salvia patens in England. It's, it's, it comes in a range of colours, from really deep blue to pale sky mm. blue. We even have a pink version, but the flowers are very showy and, again, well-spaced up mm. a long stem. I used to grow on... Co- called Cambridge Blue. Yes, it's Oxford Blue and Cambridge Blue. So the colours of the boating teams, of course, in, in the well, I regatta. Well, I should try again. Where do you grow it? Uh, it has I didn't to notice it in your garden. No, it has to have a little bit of winter shelter because, again, it's, it frosts off. But if it's well mulched over the winter, the root ball survives very See, well. I think I lose re- it. I think I lose it in the summer. So I suspect if I'd grown it this year, I would have been happy because I haven't really had a summer. But I think I lose it in the summer. There's certain things that I always, if I try, I lose in the summer. The handkerchief tree, Mm -hmm. I find I can't grow that. I lose that in the summer. Um, and with patents, but I must I must get yeah. one off you and have another and go. Do do worth at least three well. attempts in most things, especially yes. if they're worth having. And, <laughs> oh, and it's, it's very worth having. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the best it's, of the It's salvias. lovely foliage as well as these really telling, vivid blue mm. flowers. So if you like true blue in the garden, it's a killer. Mm. I love it. I've got a friend who doesn't like blue in the garden. What? I do what not understand wrong? it. <laughs> How can that happen? I, I can almost understand people who don't like magenta or orange or even yellow, I guess. I can sort of get my head around that a bit. But how can you not want blue? Mm, I know. I, I mean, that's bizarre. And especially in the... Has she seen a psychiatrist? <laughs> <laughs> especially in the hot Australian summer, it, it does give you that cooling cool, effect yes, on, yes. Well, on the really warm days. Yes, and white. Although I exactly. think it's interesting because when I first came back from Britain and I'd spent a lot of time at Sissinghurst, and I wanted to have a white garden because I thought it was so wonderful. But, of course, a white garden here in the it summer just, just washes out. disappears. Yeah, it, it does. It doesn't work. Yeah, no. you need your canners. <laughs> <laughs> and your salvia patents. Yes. <laughs> uh, I actually do like strong colours even in the hot weather because they do stand out. 
Yes. yes. Pale pastels can be Just, lost in our really yeah, they hot get, sun. Yes. They do look a bit dirty, washed yeah. out, yeah. dish yes, rag I effect. Think, I think that's right. I just, yeah. And when I when I go back, you know, I look at the gardens and they have these beautiful soft colours, mm. yeah, which but do it, just disappear. Yeah. In, but, but it's like I'm, silver borders. Here silver borders look like a bit of mallee scrub. <laughs> but you go to England and you look at a silver border and, it and it's... Yeah, it is. It's just apples. beautiful. So it's a completely different light. And, and so I would never have a whole border of silvers. I like silvers as a little bit of a... Accent. A, yeah, yes, an accent yeah, amongst other things. Or something like but, that. you know, a whole border of silver looks no. dry and, and miserable in the summer, I yes. think, in, this, mm. in our and life. And I love having hot beds. Mm. I don't mean hot in temperature. I mean hot in colour. Mm. The oranges and the deep mahoganies yes. and well, I didn't vivid grow. reds I in didn't the autumn. It looks fantastic mm. in our Australian autumn light. Yes, well, I so, didn't grow it at all. I never grew orange in Britain and now I've got, I've got one bed that is just orange and purple. Yeah, mm. and, and that would, so much that would be an oh, eye popper. Yeah. 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 Fabulous. Yeah. fabulous in the autumn. Yeah. Although I have to say as we get older and our eyesight starts to fail, those colours are extra <laughs> special then too. <laughs> I've got pretty good vision. <laughs> I haven't. I'm going to have to. Uh, I left my glasses at home this morning, so I can't read anything. Uh, uh, but, yeah, once I get home and get my glasses, I'll be fine again. I can at least drive without them. It's not for long sight. It's only for the reading and well, stuff. But that was the change for me when I suddenly needed point. I needed point one. I just needed a little bit extra for driving. And then I switched to glasses all the time because I, I would be sitting at the television taking the glasses off to put the reading glasses on to read the writing on the television. Oh, oh, take that and I thought, no, this is ridiculous. Yes. yes. The yeah. time has come. Yes. Mm. Yes, we all have to accept it in due course. Yeah. But, I'm, you know, with this, like I've, I'm having my gardens in the Open Garden Scheme in September because always it's, it, it looks fabulous in September. But if, if we have a really cold winter, which could... Follow this, yes. Yes, you, your yes. garden might well be behind when September yes, comes exactly. along. So if we're all suffering from that, we can blame you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens when you lock your garden in for a date. You can almost bank on the things not exactly working the way you were expecting because mm. it'll be a different sort of season. But the mm. one thing with my garden is I counted one time when I was here in winter, I thought, what mm. am I going to talk about tomorrow? You know, and I wandered around and thought, oh, I'll count how many camellias I've got. Mm. I've got 31 camellia trees. So that means I will have sunflower. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Mainly yes. in pink and white, I would hazard a guess. And red. Oh, yes, and some red. Yes. Although camellia red is always that sort of bluey red. Yes. It's never a, a scarlet red. It's I like that Dr. Hertzilla that uh, it opens, yes, yeah, sort of a bluey red, but then it fades away or mature, not fades. It doesn't get any lighter. It actually gets deeper, but it goes that rich purple. Mm. And it, all the shading in the flowers is absolutely beautiful. So the changing colour yes. is no, a I, good thing. I, And what has surprised me is just how incredibly hardy camellias are. They are tough. Oh, oh they're tough. Even in the dry. They floated through the drought. Yeah, they? they did. Mm. They did at our place too. Mm. Yeah, that Despite that fibrous root system. They, they did yes, well. they come through pretty well everything. Mm. Yes, they so do. We've kind of had a caller for a while. What's going on? That's all right. We've got one. We've got our good friend John Bentley about to come ah. through. Mm. I can't quite take it yet until it's up in the system. Yeah. Um, well, uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, we'll go straight to John now. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> I... Uh, I've had a couple of days away, Jill and I. We've had to um, 
visit some gardens. We firstly went to um, Ballarat to their AGM and um, had a look around and went to Yvonne Kerbex, who's the head of the, the nursery there uh, for Ballarat Friends, and uh, looked around her new garden. She's planted a lot out in two months in a small unit. But it, it was lovely, so she gave us a lot of marines for the Melton Botanic Garden. And uh, then we headed off to um, Wartook to um, look at um, a garden for plant trust, and that was absolutely marvellous with um, Royce and John um, Raleigh. Ah, yes. So uh, for eight, an 80-year-old, he has got such a positive attitude and is doing really well. He was out there mowing and mulching and all sorts of things when we arrived <coughs> at midday. So and that's a, a wonderful, um, it's mainly a native garden, but um, his wife has um, got roses and everything else, so I was quite surprised to see that. Yeah. And then we headed off to uh, Hamilton Botanic Garden and then took in a little botanic garden at Penzhurst with some magnificent old oaks and a few, quite a few other trees. And I think a friends group there is trying to revive that as well. Oh, good, good luck to them. So, so that was really good. But when we got home, I was... Really surprised to find that um, a camellia we got many years ago from the friends at Melbourne, um, a camellia, the Great Eastern, yes. uh, was in flower. <laughs> <laughs> They're a bit confused. Yeah, a tiny bit <laughs> out of season. We've never had a camellia flower in February ever before. I've had some in mid-March and things. Mm. But yeah. yeah, this so weather is throwing it, things out a yes, wee bit. We've uh, got some things that are flowering out of season too. <laughs> So I'm sure my, my plants don't know what they're doing half the time, and I'm not sure if all that smoke in the air is, and then the rain caused um, the smoke water to help germinate all sorts of things, especially the weeds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think we can all concur yeah, with that. Yeah. The weeds are something that have done exceptionally well this year, I have noticed. Yes. And, and yeah. the brown rain didn't do anything for our tank water either. No, or no. no. my fish ponds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and in fact, there's still brown stains on leaves yes. in the garden. Oh, yes. Yeah, there it is. It's very sticky. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I've tried washing it off with some things because it was annoying me so much. But it's, yeah, it's, it's still, still hanging in there. It's, around the it's edges. gone into all the crevices in my bluestone paving, yes. and I, it won't come out. Mm. It's crazy. But there well, you go. Uh, yeah, so I just wonder if I could mention two events that we're doing. Sure, John. Uh, n- next week is the first of March. Is Clean Up Australia Day. Yes. So we, for over ten years, we've been having a clean-up activity at the Melton Botanic Garden. So from 10 o'clock till probably 11.30, um, we'll walk around the garden and clean rubbish up and things like that and make it look really good. What a lovely so, way to have a morning yeah. walk. Mm. And you get a great walk around, then we always have morning tea and, and things. We might even bring out the good biscuits. No, good. <laughs> well, that'll just ruin uh, the effect of the walk. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it, it is great. And today, if anyone's feeling... Um, Really energetic. We've got our Grow the Garden Day, which is always the fourth Sunday of the month. Uh, we'll probably only do 10 till about 11.30 today because we're um, topping up some paths with tuberac toppings in the mixed garden beds area, and that's a bit like a mini botanic garden. And they'll be weeding. Some some people won't be uh, wanting to wheel wheelbarrows full of um, this um, granitic sand, uh, so others will be meeting, weeding in that area. Yeah. Great. Lovely. Uh, I'm not sure if, if Stephen's going to mention his 15th of March event or whether... Um, 
Actually, I probably should. I'm, no, I'm, I getting, I'm getting my tickets today. Oh, well done. Well done. Yes, actually, thank you for that little reminder, John, because I really should mention our uh, special event that we have in our garden every year, and that's the uh, Opera in the Garden. Oh, right. So it's, it is, as John said, on the 15th. Um, uh, it starts in sort of mid-afternoon. Uh, if people want to book tickets, they can go through the Gertrude Opera site, uh, and they'll be able to find out where they can book tickets through there. And we have a lovely time in the garden. And it's to help um, young aspiring opera singers. So oh, these are all youngsters who are going into an opera career, foolishly. Um, so we're trying to sort of give them a bit of a, a leg up. So Gertrude Opera sort of polishes these young opera singers and gives them some performance um, spaces that they can have a... a a recital in, and so our garden is one of them. So we'll have, um, there'll be glasses of wine, there'll be nibblies, Craig will have his paintings out so you can have a look at some really good botanic art. Um, and so it's through Gertrude Opera, um, and uh, yeah, you'll have a lovely afternoon and listen to all these gorgeous young people singing. So yeah, so book and come. We have a limit of 100 people, so... Um, uh, our lawn won't cope with any more, um, so you need to get in fairly quickly, I should think. It right. always books out. So Yes. This great. must be the third or fourth time you've run it. I think it. it's even longer than that. I Is think it we've, now? Yeah, I th- we Gosh. must have been five or six years now. We've oh, really? been doing it. Gosh, time uh, goes. It does. Uh, and every year they have different singers, and, and it's not, it's not a, you're not sitting through an opera, you're sitting through arias from all sorts of yes. different things. So you get from, highlights. Yeah, so yeah. You know, you'll get things from light opera through to some fairly hefty stuff, although there's not many Wagnerian opera singers amongst the youngsters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we haven't had a Valkyrie yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for the day. Although I believe you've sort of got to get to your mid to late thirties before, to you, before, you, got before the you can even go in that direction. <laughs> That's uh, right. But yeah, it's lovely. So we have all these gorgeous young opera singers, and um, you can sit in the in the orchard under the fruit trees and and listen away to them. It's just lovely. So thank Excellent. you for reminding me, John. So yes, the fifteenth of uh, March. March. So there you go. It's an absolutely wonderful experience. We, Jill and I, have been a few times now. You have, yes. Uh, yes. So, all right. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you on that day, John, and hopefully, you know, with a 99 of your friends. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay. See you all later, right. John. Okay. Bye. Right. Next up, we have uh, Colin, who's from Queensland. Good morning, Colin. Colin, are you there? They're on a different time zone. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Colin. We seem to be having problems. No. I might get Robin to put him back on hold. Um, Colin, if you want to ring back in, we'll try and get straight to your call. Hmm. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're doing the opera again. Oh, it's lovely. Gardens are so good for, for yes. music. That's, I mean, the yes. combination is just perfect. Yes. It is. It and, really of course, is. because we've got a green lawn this year and everything is looking green and, and yummy, uh, I'd say on the 15th of March our garden should be looking pretty good. <laughs> Absolutely prime. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so it should be good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. We were talking about things flowering out of season. We're having the most wonderful season this year with the thalictrums, the lavender showers, oh, yeah. right. both the tall ones and the ground cover ones, yeah. which are blooming their heads off. They're having a very good year. Yeah, it'd be a great season for the thalictrums. Yes, yeah. I thought I'd make them my feature plant this, this week because they're such handy plants. Um, shade lovers on the whole, ground cover versions and tall versions, 
but the tall ones are just going bananas at the moment with mists, froths of lavender, white, mauve flowers. It's sort of like a, a, a lovely cool cloud floating around in the background underneath the trees. So woodland plants from Japan and China, mm. but excellently well suited to Australian garden conditions and especially uh, some of the Chinese ones which are very good in dry shade mm. although we haven't got a lot of dry shade this <laughs> year. <laughs> I tell you what is doing going nuts in the garden at home at the moment uh, and almost in full bloom now which is early I think uh, is the cyclam and hedrofoliums. Yes they, they are have too. come up in a cloud of pink yes. and white at the moment yes. and mid-February I always expect I've had a few up by then yes. but they're in full flight and I've got a big patch of them in the garden at Which home. Which look fabulous. Yeah. And Normally they, they're late autumn. Yeah, they things. are, but they're, they're absolutely a, a mass. Yep. So they're Here's great Queensland plants. man back again. Good. Yes, we'll try and get to uh, to Colin. Are you there, Colin? Yes, I am. Oh, ah, great. Well done. Go ahead. Um, I was listening to your show last week. I come down here on holidays last week. Yeah. And you're talking about the native hibiscus. Now, yeah. I had never seen the purple flower one until I come down here. Up in Queensland, in the bush where I grew up, the white one with the red centre grew everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's the the local one up there. The Allegheny's, the blue ones, do tend to come from further south. Uh, so they're not highly tropical hibiscus relatives. They're sort of more temperate hibiscus yes. relatives. But up in Queensland itself, you do have a few highly tropical species of native true hibiscuses. They're not Allegheny's. Um, and they are in sort of lemons and whites and flower colours like that and often quite large shrubs. Uh, so they're a, they're a slightly different group. And the Allegheny's, the, the purple blue ones that you're seeing down here, are much better suited to where it's dry in the summer. Mm. Yeah, pretty flower too. That's Very pretty. Yeah, and of course they're doing a fair bit of breeding with the Allegheny's now too, so you can get them in a range of colours and sizes. I've got a sizes. pale, pale mauve one, yeah. which is Very really pretty. beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And I have got yeah. the most beautiful one, which has got huge pink flowers mm. and grey, yeah. pale grey leaves. Oh, yummy. That would be very It is divine. Telling. Yeah, mm. that came from Sue's nursery. Mm. Okay. 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 Yeah, so I don't know how successful you'd be with the blue ones up in Queensland. I think they'd probably rot off in the summer. I think they might. They wouldn't okay. like the summer okay. humidity. Mm. Okay, okay, Colin? Okay. Right, thank you. Okay, right. bye. Thanks for ringing. Yeah, bye. 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 Oh, we're spreading our wings, aren't we? We're getting <laughs> questions from Queensland. Queensland. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I think, um, uh, and I don't remind li- listeners enough about this, that um, we are actually streaming online. Yeah. So even if you're outside our sort of broadcasting radius, if you like, uh, we are streaming live. So you can you can... Listening Do we to still us podcast on the computer. And all that we stuff? still podcast, yeah, yeah. and and you'll hear the last um, the last six weeks of programs. So um, you can jump on any time and listen to binge podcasts. <laughs> you can. <laughs> and I rang in last week, the week before, and I was listening on my phone, right? Because I was in Seville, and when I hung up and went and put it the back onto the radio, it started at exactly where I cut off so I then listened to myself <laughs> <laughs> I 
don't know if that's, that's such scary. a good idea. <laughs> a bit frightening, but there you go. Uh, yeah, so if we're live streaming, it, re- it really means we can be listened to anywhere in the world. Well, we can. Basically. We can. Yeah. I well, do remember a couple of years ago, we actually had a listener who was in, uh, it was either Singapore or Hong Kong, yeah. phone in, which was quite amazing, quite <laughs> exciting. Very exciting. But yes. I've, I've got a friend called John who lives in Minnesota. Right. And he listens every week. Okay. Isn't that marvellous? Well, there you well, go. Come on, John, ring Hi, us up. Hi, John. <laughs> uh, talking about other places in the world, Meryl, you spend half of your, your year yes. travelling. Yes. And, and With great pleasure. <laughs> and it's all going to start for you again. It is in April, heading off to Cornwall. And then very excitingly, a, a repeat of one that we thought would only ever be a once-off, right. but heading to northern Greece, right up into the mountains oh. and the island of Corfu into really exclusive private gardens on the island of Corfu. There's a lot of expats, particularly British expats, that uh, live on Corfu. Well, I should say have their summer holiday residences <laughs> yes. on Corfu. Which is slightly do. different, yes. Slightly different yes. to actually living there. Yes. But uh, they have um, some pretty good gardeners over there. And okay. Splendid, splendid gardens. So that's very exciting and a big contrast between these, uh, you know, very extensive and greatly varied private gardens near the sea, fabulous views, um, overlooking the, the coastline and headlands, rocky headlands, just fabulous um, bushland that they're, they're situated these gardens in and things like swimming pools in old Roman stone quarries and, you know, little garden decor items that we don't generally run into in <laughs> Australia. Funnily enough. Yes. Yeah, what, you, what you wouldn't give for a few centuries old um, stone wall Well, that's garden, right. I've know, been asking for a 16th century stone wall for Christmas for, well, decades really. Yeah. He doesn't love you enough. <laughs> he hasn't come good yet. <laughs> But uh, getting that contrast between these, you know, huge private gardens, these very ambitious private gardens, and the natural environment in the, the high mountains in northern Greece, the wildflowers are just stunning. So that's, that's really fun to get the chance to go back on that one again. It's just a small group, so it, it's really that sounds um, fabulous. exciting. Are you, and northern Greece, is that a separate tour? The Corfu and Northern Greece oh, together. are combined. together yep. as, as one tour, but separate to Cornwall. Mm. Although a lot of the people who are coming to Cornwall are heading on to Greece as well. You know, they've, they've joined them up. Or alternatively, we've got some people who are coming to Northern Greece who are then continuing on to the mountains in Romania and Bulgaria and the, ro- the rose fields and the wildflowers in Transylvania and... That's absolutely beautiful too. Not much in the way of gardens, but the natural environment is just mm. absolutely stunning. I'm going to Romania this year. It's We're all going to bloody Romania. We, What's going on? It is the place. <laughs> <laughs> Quite obviously. It uh, is the place. And we really need to hurry up and do it because it's really opening up to the outside world. We've done it the last few years and... We've, we're already seeing a big difference between when we first started going and well, what it's like now. It's, okay. it's flavour of the month. Yeah. Yes. Is okay. it? Because the other place that seems to be absolutely flavour of the month is Sicily. That's been a, a favourite for a long time. Mm. And the food's so fabulous too. So, <laughs> And yet you don't see people going to Sardinia in the same... Sort no, we, we, of, we do. We do Sardinia fabulous. and Sicily together. Mm. 
Um, and yes, Sardinia is beautiful and much, much I, less touristed than I camped Sicily. in an oleander forest in Sardinia. I hope you didn't use the oleander branches to cook your meat on the barbecue. <laughs> 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 nope. She's still here. Yeah, still here. Yep. And then later in the year heading off to New Zealand, which is also very exciting, even though it's, you know, not very far from home, but Boy, do they do good gardens. They're very oh, yes. ambitious gardeners, and very highly educated gardeners. I just, when I went to Christchurch, I just couldn't believe it. I thought it was wonderful yeah. to be in a city where the trees were more dominant than the, than the buildings, you know, because they haven't built high after the earthquake. So, and they have the, there's so much water, the trees are just a, Fabulous. Oh. Everything's fabulous in the gardens. And it's all on steroids. And the and I saw the best rose garden I've ever seen there, uh, next to the botanic gardens, not in the botanic gardens. It's and it's run by the um, Rose Society, yes. and it was fabulous. I was so excited. I adored Christchurch. Mm. Mm. That's yeah. a lovely city. It's very yeah. pretty. Yeah. It really. The is. whole of the South Island is oh, just it's stunning, stunning it? scenery, yeah. but. Just to get into these private gardens mm. and see the ambition of them. I think it's something to do with being a small population and an island nature. Nobody's ever told them they can't do it. Mm. They just <laughs> go for it. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, they're also heading towards zero emissions and God knows what else over exactly. there. They're really what? trying. They're doing They're some doing some amazing things. stuff over there. They so, are. Yeah, yes. I agree. <laughs> Maybe we should be taking a leaf out of our neighbours' books. There's lots of things, <laughs> oh, really. They've got some things to teach us. That's I think they Sure. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. and you're right. They're stunningly good gardeners. Of course, they do have the advantage of a climate that's a little kinder. It is. Yes, yes. they don't have to struggle, so they just go for that extra paddock. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So they can get away with things that we we would just find too hard. And yeah. so many things that we love are bred there. You know, they oh, are really great nursery some people. Wonderful yes, things. great yes. breeders. So introduced a lot of fantastic plants and and yeah the plant collections in the gardens are absolutely outstanding everything from trees to you know the miniature ground cover thalictrums we were talking about Mm. it it goes all the way through but one of the funny things you know the Morton Bay fig which has to be one of the biggest figs in the world and they've got Morton Bay figs in in New Zealand but they've always propagated them vegetatively every fig has its own wasp Mm. And that's how the fig is the only plant where the flower is internal in the fruit. Yep. And the wasp goes into the fig. Yep. To to propagate. Guess what's turned up in New Zealand? What the wasp has shown up. The wasp has shown up. Goodness me. So can you imagine a hundred years time the the moaning. Oh, yes, the Morton Bay figs will be self-seeding all over the North Island, probably. And, uh, yeah, uh, and they'll have nobody to blame but themselves. I love the way that uh, they blame us for the possums. But, in fact, it was a New Zealander who imported possums into New Zealand for a fur industry that went ass up. Yes. And then he released them. Yes. So it wasn't our fault. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I guess a lot of things are like that. I mean, you know, the North Americans blame us for eucalyptus and melaleucas drying up the Everglades, but they actually imported them to plant them to dry up the Everglades. Exactly. They actually did it on purpose. Yes. Uh, and now they're ruining the day, so to speak. Well, um, it's like what happened with the deer when the deer industry collapsed in the 80s, 90s. You know, instead of sending the animals to humane slaughter... They just released them into the bush and 
for people in our area, I don't know what it's like up on Mount Getting Mountain. worse up oh, our way. The, the deer are in plague proportions. Yes. And they're coming into towns. They're an yes. enormous hazard on the roads at night. But from a gardener's point of view, they're just munching their way through through the gardens. Yeah. And so now we're having to list on our you know, website catalogues, etc. if it's rabbit-resistant and deer-resistant. Mm. I mean, no plant is proof against them, but, you know, some things they don't like to eat first. Yes, that's right, so they leave them till later. <laughs> they leave them uh, till last. Yeah, yes, it's a very but unfortunate thing the, that we've the got The feral deer, deer are just mm. a huge and growing oh, problem. Shocking, yes. Well, they're shocking in the Yarra Valley. Yes, yes. very bad. And, and Craig was talking the other day about how bad they are up on the mountain. That's right. Mm. Up in the Dandenongs, which are, and they used to be as bad as they are no, now. No, they're, no, they're just going bananas. But with the, the fires, of course, this is an opportunity to really get in and take out the deer, Some take out the, the pigs. Yeah. But again, we don't seem to be prepared to spend the money to do it. That's very important. Mm. Mm. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so, Meryl, getting back to the, to the tours that you lead... I, I know you tend to be booked out until, what, two years people have to plan for? Yes, it'd be wise to be thinking about 21 so, 2021. Now. Yes. 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 So, um, so people really need to get their skids on and, and, and contact you for what tours you're going to be leading yes. in 12 months' time. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Mm. And uh, you can just give us an email or a phone call and we'll send out information to whoever's interested. Or we'll be at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show and we have the full itineraries and cost sheets and all that sort of thing there. So people who are interested can come in and have a personal talk and we can give them all the information Mm. on the day to Excellent. take home and, yep. and read. That's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. I presume the, there'd also be links on your website. Yes, indeed. Yep. It, it doesn't have full details on the website, no, no. but just ask, say, you can request send to people, details. that's it. Yep. Yes. That's what's happening. Contact us if you want full details. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Fantastic. It's good fun. We have the best people coming <laughs> along. It's enormous so, fun. Just type in Country Farm Perennials and it'll all come up. Indeed. That's yep. all you need to do. Brilliant. But if I can just briefly put in a, a little plug, we're actually, as a volunteer, uh, helping to organise the conference and the garden tours for the Heritage Rose Society. Oh, OK. It's an international conference of people who are interested in heritage roses and uh, they're having their conference and then we're organising the post-tour um, Tours, garden tours for them, and uh, it's going to be very exciting. So if you'd like to come on the Heritage Rose Garden Tours, you have to be a member of the Heritage Rose Society. That's fair enough. That's fair enough, but it's a small membership fee, and the conference has really interesting speakers. It's a day-long conference, and then we've got... Four days of, of private garden visiting. Wow. I did Afterwards. a talk once for the Heritage Rose Society. They did a uh, Heritage Rose Society conference down in Geelong. Yes. And Zoe Minotti asked me to be the after-dinner speaker at their big final dinner. Yes. And so I called my talk, What to Grow in Front of or Over Your Roses. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't go down quite as well as I'd hoped. But <laughs> <laughs> I wonder Maybe, why. Yeah. The title just wasn't quite catchy. Yeah, it was really about, I was really going to talk about companion plants, basically. Yes. But I thought I'd have a bit of a dig. <laughs> uh, and some people got it. 
you know, I got a few giggles from the audience about the whole thing, but some people took it really seriously. They didn't <laughs> quite understand why I was there. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking earlier about how certain plants are named after certain people mm. or they've been bred by, you know, really great breeders. So I'm doing a talk for the conference uh, about the celebrity stars of the Heritage Rose World, which right. will, will take us through some of the, the really interesting examples from each of the different rose families, but also give us the history of, of who bred it and who they were and who they were named after, etc. One of the most popular roses, Heritage Roses, to grow is called Lady Hillingdon. And uh, Lady Hillingdon was a fairly insignificant uh, figure in history, but she did actually coin the phrase "lie back and think of England." Oh. <laughs> and she so is she good growing up a wall? Yeah, yeah. She, well, uh, in many nursery catalogues, it, it's mentioned that she is good in a bed, but better against the a wall, wall. <laughs> which uh, is a little bit naughty, but only if you know the background. And the real Lady Hillingdon, the real life lady, was married. She was an heiress and she was married to an aristocrat, you know, for dynastic reasons. She got the title and he got the money. Mm. So it wasn't exactly a love match. And she made the mistake of uh, writing about her her dread of hearing her husband's footsteps come along the hallway at <laughs> night. And she made the mistake of putting this into writing and it eventually got published. But she said, you know, when I, when I hear Harold's footsteps coming along the hallway, I just lie back and think of England. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not too risque for no, our No, I'm sure most of our listeners will cope with that. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure a whole lot of people are now going to join the Heritage yeah. Race. Well, I hope so, because yeah. it's a great body of people. And and a lot of people will have Lady Hillington up against the wall before you know it. They undoubtedly will, the climbing version. <laughs> what, what does the rose actually look like? Oh, it's a, it comes as either a, a shrub yes. or a climbing a version, yep. and it's a tea-type rose, so it's got lovely nodding flowers, which is beautiful in a climbing version because the, the flowers up. actually look down at you and yes. you look up at yes. them. A lovely soft apricot colour ah, and okay. a fabulous perfume. It really is very fragrant indeed. Long-blooming and very well adapted to Australian conditions. So. Mm. It, it's a good rose to have. But I would encourage people to join the Heritage Rose Society because some of their quiet work is very, very important, and particularly at the moment. After the 2009 bushfires, the society got really well organised and they actually propagated enormous numbers of roses, which they then, with a lot of work getting in touch with people, took to bushfire-affected communities and helped people to replant their gardens, oh, as well as planting a lot of memorial gardens yes. in, in communities that had been very badly bushfire affected, and particularly up at Marysville. Mm. And that garden means a lot to a lot of people, and it's very beautiful. Mm. So That's I one mean, of the ones you're visiting, isn't it? It is one of the ones we're visiting on the conference tour. Right. But, I mean, we've now had another big bushfire event and no doubt we'll get busy and do that helping people just re-establish life again mm. which is so important yes mm. yes and gardens have such a healing effect mm. so to be able to help people to re-establish their gardens so if you're joining the heritage rose society you're doing some good for the community as well as but having also, a lot of fun yourself it's also keeping those breeds alive well it is that's so, so it's, important there's a, a two-way benefit 
and correctly named, which is yes. a big problem for a lot of roses or other plants for that matter that have been around for a mm. very long time that either came to Australia or were found in Australia and brought into gardens in the early days. Mm. Their names have gone astray. <laughs> and so many, because so many new roses come in every year, you know, it, it's hard to find some of the older roses. That's right. Like Whereas Heritage Clarks, for that's example. That's right. And if it wasn't for the members of the Heritage Rose Society keeping them going and keeping and them in gardens and correctly named, mm. we'd be in a muddle. Mm. <laughs> is, there, is there any Heritage Rose um, collectors attached to Plant Trust? Members? Uh, or yeah, there, Well, John Ewersteeg is holding our collection of sort of... Uh, mid uh, between wars roses yes. um, and uh, but we're still very keen to get more collectors out there i mean uh, uh, our alistair clark one seems to have gone into recess so it'd be really nice to get a really good alistair clark one going again oh yes. the, the garden is still existing but it's actually run by the council and that becomes very difficult to get them to register the yes, collection. Yes, yes. And, in fact, it should be easier, though, because they've got paid staff. They should be able to do the paperwork with you know, no problems whatsoever. And there's a sense of longevity because one of the things about Plant Trust is that you know, we have quite a number of private collectors, which is fantastic, and we want more of them. But there's always the problem that when a, a private collector gets too old or something goes wrong, the collection can quite easily disappear, even if we try and help move it on to somewhere else. Whereas when it's in public hands, like the, the garden up at uh, Buller, where Buller. Mm. the um, Alistair Clark roses are, in, I might add, a perfectly obvious place because it's almost opposite the old Alistair Clark property. So yes. historically, it's a really it's good a spot to have spot. it. Yes. You know, so it should be there. Um, those sorts of collections can go on ad infinitum because the friends group just keep going and new members join. And, it, and, and the council you know, keeps it all and, together. Yeah, and the council yeah. can keep it all together. So I would love to see the Alistair Clark roses up there properly registered with Plant Trust uh, and other groups. I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't have a species rose collection somewhere. Um, uh, you know, there's all sorts of segments. You don't have to hold a whole genus. And no. in the case of roses, it would be there's impossible. Lots. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it would be quite impossible. Uh, but you can pick a specific sort of group within something like Rose uh, and and collect that group. And it would be lovely to see more people doing that, you know. So, uh, and there's oodles of potential out there, really, yes. when you think about yes. it. Uh, there's lots of different sections within the Roses. I mean, in the old ones, you could just hold a Moss Rose collection or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, or if you live by the seaside, you could hold the Gallicas or the or the Rugosa Rugosas. Roses. Yeah. yeah, and Perfect. I mean, none of those are vast no, there's not within. large no, numbers. So you could, in fact, hold a representative collection of any In of a those. hedge, you could just make a hedge out of yeah. Rugosa roses, as indeed I've done. Yeah. Because we're in such a windy site and really cold in the winter and then stinking hot in the summer. Yeah. So yeah. the Rugosas yeah. So, do yeah, so, so well. if anybody's interested, we'd be very happy to hear from them if they're, well, doesn't have to be roses, but we'd certainly like to see more rose collections. We seem to have a few salvia collections within the organisation, which is good. But um, but a number of them uh, have quite old older women looking, looking after, after them, yeah. and that's yeah. always a threat. Yeah, it is. It's going to be an issue in due course where yes. you know um, collections might become uh, at risk because somebody can't look after them anymore. And which we would be awful. we lost our viola collection recently because she lost her husband and is elderly and in drought and the the combination of all three was mm. just too much too, too much, much. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, so client and trust is important because it, it does exactly what Merrill was talking about before where, you know, things are kept, they're documented, we know what their proper names are, um, and, and it's all within a registration body so that we can always go back for that information, we can find out what's there. And it's not just for the sake of history of keeping them, that's mm. not the well, that is a purpose, but it's not the main purpose. Mm. It's because they're damn good plants, well, because yeah. they've lived and been loved for many decades because they're such good, yeah. good and, things. And we have got plants here, like the Ceanothus, which is highly likely we'd never be able to import again. Yeah, well, that's exactly. the other thing. We, yes. When we lose biological uh, diversity here uh, in garden plants, it's getting to the point now where, you know, rightly or wrongly, the uh, quarantining restrictions and biosecurity rules and, and which are highly uh, necessary yeah, and wonderful. Yeah, we need all that stuff to protect us from the next nasty um, plant disease getting in. Uh, but it is now getting to the point where, unless you're going to bring in something that you're going to make an awful lot of money out of, it's not worth. It's you just can't do not it. worth it. It's you just, can't you, do you it. You can't do it unless you've got more money than cents and you can just throw money at bringing in something new mm-hmm. um, that might make it through. Yeah, that might make it through. Sometimes they don't. Uh, uh, so it's getting to a point that if we don't protect what we've actually got here, we will actually be in a point where we'll start losing it. And the nursery yes. trade is becoming less and less. They're shrinking in, anyway yeah, in it, their diversity. Yeah, yes. Well, even in numbers, of course, yeah. too. So there's less <laughs> nurseries out there. But also, you're right, the, the bigger nurseries are growing fewer varieties of plants, but more of them. Mm. Uh, and so we're losing all that um, uh, diversity. And, mm. uh, and the home gardener is the one that actually suffers the consequences at the end of a whole exercise. Which gives us a lovely segue into suggesting that people put in their diaries some of these wonderful plant collectors' fairs. That, There's um, a lot coming Pam, up, actually. Yeah, that yes. Pam's been mentioning in yes. her events because mm. it's there that you do meet the enthusiasts, you know, who, who are just mad African violet. I mean, I'd never collect an African violet in a mad fit. No, but well, lots, I couldn't keep them alive. So. <laughs> that's right. But some people do. Mm. Yep. And that's what's beautiful about going along to those plant collectors' fairs and shows and things, that you do meet the enthusiasts, and the you do one. meet the specialists and... There's plants there that you've never seen or heard of, may never want to see or hear of again. But But if you want something unusual, exactly, because there is fewer Merrills, fewer Craigs and fewer Stevens. I mean, those mad people, yes, (laughs) (laughs) that are all on this show. (laughs) But it is, it's really important. So, yes. And the next one is in the Yarra Valley. So what we well, Melbourne International Flower and oh, Garden Show comes before that. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, 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 yes. There's Mythicus and then there's the Yarra Valley, which is plant collectors' the, fair. Yeah. What's well, the date of that? Uh, that that That's one is the 18th and 19th, 19th of April. April. Yes. So. Um, Mifcus, uh Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show is 25th to the 29th of March. But before all of those, we've got Fernie Creek. Ah, yes. Yes, and, and Fernie Creek is coming up. Very, very soon. It's the seventh uh, and eighth of March, yeah. and, so, and actually, I will be mentioning that in detail oh, next good. week. But and if I could mention, we've actually got uh, twenty double passes to give away to people, free double passes for the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society plant fairs. Right. So, so you're going to be there, Meryl. We'll, we'll be there, but Fantastic. you need to contact us before then if you'd like to. Enter the competition to win the 20 double, one of the 20 yep. double passes because we'll actually mail them out to people. So okay. they've got them in their hand to go on the weekend. And the pass is good for either Saturday 
or Sunday, so you can, you know, Good. make your own way. Well, okay. that's that, that's only in two weeks' time, yeah, Christmas, so, it's, so, yeah, so 7th it's and 8th close. of March, yes. So, I, as I say, I'll give out all the details next week for that one, but if they go to the website again, yes, Meryl... Country Farm Perennials, you'll yep. get our email address, send us an email, that automatically puts you in the competition, and we draw the 20 winners out later this week and mail the passes yep. out to people. The other one I should mention is the Herb and Chili Festival, and yes. that's also coming up 14th and 15th of March so there's there's a whole heap we can go to and it's fun you meet like-minded people, people. <laughs> absolutely and you meet you meet the people that are growers that are breeders that you can mm. you can get real real information and exactly. Fernie Creek having had so much rain will be looking beautiful and oh, they do the free garden stunning. tours of mm. the garden which yes. is good Yes, so excellent. And do you know it's the 25th year of Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show? Really? That's right, it is. 25th year. So they're actually, what they're doing for the show gardens this year, they're actually inviting a lot of the designers that that won uh, Best in Show for their Mm. gardens to come back and each do a show garden. Fantastic. So it should be really high standard. This year to go along and have a look at it. 25 years. Although I have to say I am old enough now to remember when they used to run the flower show at the Fitzroy Gardens. I'm also old enough to remember when it was back in the exhibition buildings way back as Garden Week. Or at Burnley. Burnley. Yes, there was that period where it was at Burnley. I don't want to... You know, sound like I'm ancient, but I've actually <laughs> exhibited every one of them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, I'm quickly going to take this call because we have Lois in uh, Mitcham uh, wanting to know about how to join the Heritage Rose Society. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Lois. Oh, thanks very... <coughs> excuse me. Thanks very much, Pam. Yes, I was just um, listening to Meryl and I used to uh, be a member of the Heritage Roses when um, we used to meet at um, Nunawading. Oh, and yes. John Newstead had um, a very good uh, heritage rose garden. And then I think his son took over and it got changed a bit. Uh, yes, we're um, actually visiting John's garden, his own personal yes. garden with the rose yes. collection, as yes. part of the tours. Oh, lovely. And um, I, as I said, I, a couple of my daughters rang because we had to go and help them with some work today. <laughs> and uh, I just um, wanted to find out a bit more of the details. As I said, I um, haven't been to the, the meetings and all that they used to have of late. Yes. But, um, if, if I could find out a bit more. Just go onto the internet and type in Heritage Rose Society Victoria mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it'll all pop up. Or just type in Heritage Rose Society Conference 2020 and all the details are up on the website. So it right. should be really easy to track down. Now, Meryl, the um, actual... Um Tour. Yes. Uh, when is this happening? It's happening in November, uh, yeah. around about the eight. Sort of commences around about the eighth of November, and runs right. over five or six days. Yeah. Um, so all the details will be on the on website. Well. But you do need to be a member to be able to join in the, the private yeah. gardens tours. Yes. Right. Um, and so it's very modestly priced, too, so it's great value. I thought it was very yeah. good value. Oh, well, just, just like your tours, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And don't you worry, dear. <laughs> um, the uh, thing about the conference now, is the conference having the tours embedded in it or is, are they uh, tours? There's two, separate yes, they're two separate issues. But yes. to go on the tours, you must be a delegate to the conference. So you can't oh. just do the tours. You've, you've got to do oh, the conference day me. as well. <laughs> oh, well. And I was um, very interested in Lady Hillington because I do have a rose of that top one. It's and beautiful. It beautiful. Yes, and I remember as a little girl when I was um, growing up in Ararat, the... Um, house that we lived uh, had lived in there was a very old lady Hillington and I have a photo of um, my auntie an older auntie with me and her standing near that rose bush it's, but, a, it's um, a very it's good beauty. grower yes, yes. And, it's... and the lovely um, Maroni under the leaves and that's when yes. it comes Beautiful. Yes, it but is. But anyway, oh, lovely to hear something about the heritage roses because I've got a, um, a reasonable number of them at home and um, I enjoy them very much. That's they great. give Could a lot of pleasure. A rose isn't a rose without a perfume. I couldn't all. agree more. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for your program. Thanks and, for calling um, in. It's been lovely. And I was particularly interested to hear about these um, uh, pond cannas that mm. uh, were being spoken about by Stephen. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Okay. okay, take care, all of you. Thanks, Bye now. Bye. 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 Ah, we haven't got long to go. Yeah. I've just realised we haven't spoken about this at all, Virginia. Uh, if you want to quickly poppy. mention it, <laughs> it is a plume poppy. And, and I it f- doesn't look anything like if, if people no. are visualising poppies. <laughs> Forget <Not>. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nothing like a poppy, and it is at least 10 foot high. No, it's mm. probably 15 foot high in my garden. If it's in a bit of good soil, it can grow to an enormous height, and it's not for the timid gardener because no. it has a tendency to move around quite a bit as well. Yes. So it does suck a bit. But it's got the most fabulous leaves. I mean, this specimen's just a tiny bit f- sort of wilted. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't Don't need tell. to tell people that. Uh, but it has this beautiful greyish green. Yeah, blue, blue green yeah. foliage. Big, big leaves. Sort yes. of almost plain tree shaped yes. leaf. And, and plumes and plumes of purple very, smoke. Very, yes, smoke. It's, it is like a smoke bush in it that. It's very, like very, very light flower. Yeah. Yes. And there's, and I don't know, there must be on mine, there must be about 10 spikes. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's great standing background. right up above everything. It's mm. a great background plant in very tough conditions, yeah. but not to be given its head in good conditions and not to be grown by gardeners in arid regions because it will self-seed. It can mm. become a menace mm. in... You okay. know, not up around Mildura or Riverina, that sort of yes, area. Yes. I first saw it in, on the Monaro High Plains. Yes, it would do well mm. there where mm. it's really tough that and dry, tough. Oh. tough climate, mm. tough soil, and it does well. And mm. that's the place to put it, in a tough place as a background. Mm. But very statuesque, yeah. lovely plant, really but great nothing plant. like a poppy, no. although it is in the poppy family, which is hard to comprehend. Yes, yes. yes, the leaves are a slight yeah, giveaway. They, yeah. they are, yes. Yeah. And yeah. it comes from China and Japan. Yes, it does. Which, where they get whole forests of it in, in good climates. Wow. 
Okay, we have run out of time for another week. A huge thank you to the panel and also to Robin, who's been handling all the calls this morning. Great to see you again, Meryl. We will be back again, of course, uh, 7.30 next Sunday morning. So until then, bye for now.